Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min Football family. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Apologies uh, about the lack of a show yesterday, as you guys uh, will know if you follow me on social media. I was in Paris on Tuesday uh, working for the day, and I have to say, my journey back was a nightmare. Um, I ended up getting home some five, six hours later uh, than initially planned and then got very little sleep and then had to go to work yesterday. And basically, I was just absolutely knackered and figured that I really, really did need a day out yesterday, um, a day off, um, which um, I, I kind of got. I got it in terms of making content, but I didn't get it in terms of some of the meetings that I had to attend and things like that. But look, um, I'm delighted to be back. Thank you for all bearing with me. Thank you for all your patience, as always. Um, it kind of dawned on me actually over the last couple of days that you do need to take care of yourself as well. You know, times are hectic, times are busy, all the rest of it. But sometimes you just need that bit of downtime, right? Sometimes you just need to take your foot off the gas and allow yourself the opportunity to recover. And I'm feeling good now and looking forward to, uh, of course, today's show on which we're going to be talking about Mikel Arteta's shopping list. What does Mikel Arteta still want in the transfer market? We'll get into some reports around that. We're also going to talk Ivan Tony, Douglas Louise. Um, and we're also going to talk about the European Super League. Is it coming back? What's going on with that? We'll bring you up to speed with all the latest happenings after the European Court of Justice ruled the uh, ruling uh, that took place before uh, from UEFA and all the rest of it as unlawful. They say that the way that UEFA handled it was unlawful, that UEFA and FIFA do not have the power to sanction clubs for wanting to do their own breakaway things. So we'll get into all of that and what that could mean, um, as well as uh, some Arsenal chat, of course, and some of your comments from the live chat box. Uh, a few hellos, big hello to Raphael, who's with us. We've got Afsar with us, Steve, Sammy, Tom, uh, Robert is with us as well. Uh, he says, were you there protesting against the new European Super League? <laughs> I wasn't. Um, I was there doing some commentary work. Um, I had two games uh, from the CAF Champions League, and I've quite enjoyed doing those up until now. But if I am completely honest and I put my hand on my heart, I think I covered maybe two of the worst games of football that I've ever seen <laughs> on the day. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It was, a, it was a tough day. And then the journey back was awful, which didn't help. And then by the time I got home, it was just, I missed all the trains by the time I got home. It was so late and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, ended up, ended up getting home at some ungodly hour and then having to recover from that yesterday, which wasn't, wasn't great. Anyway, I shouldn't moan. I shouldn't complain. Um, let's, uh, let's dive into some of today's topics then. You know what? Let's start with the Super League stuff and we'll get onto the Arsenal-specific bits a little bit later on. Let's begin with the day's big story around what is going to happen with this. Is the European Super League a thing again? Or is this something that we should just take with a pinch of salt and not really concern ourselves too much with? We'll do that in just a second. Okay, so uh, earlier today... Um, it was uh, it was announced that the European Court of Justice um, found UEFA and FIFA's rules um, in which they essentially moved to ban the European Super League as unlawful. 
Banning clubs from joining a European Super League was unlawful and UEFA and FIFA are, according to the European Court of Justice, abusing a dominant position. Now, this comes after a case was brought by the European Super League and its backers claiming UEFA and FIFA were breaking competition law by threatening to sanction those who joined the breakaway league. The European Union's highest court found against the governing bodies, it added that did not mean the breakaway league would necessarily be approved. So on a hugely significant day for European football, UEFA said it was confident in the robustness of its rules. Um, ESL backers A22 have released a revamped proposal. I'm sure you've all seen it floating around on social media. Real Madrid said that clubs should be the masters of their own destiny. But La Liga referred to the European Super League as a selfish and elitist model. So those are the kind of top lines of the story. Um, Man United and Atletico Madrid at the time of recording, and there may well be more clubs that do this by the time you get around to listening to it or watching it. Um, they've come out and publicly stated their commitment to UEFA competitions and have essentially said that they're not going to be a part of any breakaway European Super Leagues, um, which I think will come as a, a welcome boost for UEFA and for FIFA. Look, UEFA won't be massively concerned about this at this stage, I don't think. I don't think they'll be losing any sleep over it at this moment. They knew that this ruling was coming. They knew that there was a chance that the ruling would rule against them, that it would be the opposite of what they wanted to hear and that it would give the likes of Real Madrid and Barca, who have been two of the real big driving forces behind this, the kind of hope that they could reignite this idea and potentially persuade others to get on board with it. Now, the new format that they've proposed would involve 64 teams. It would have three divisions, the star, gold and blue divisions. I mean, who came up with that? That, that First of all, that in itself is, is really rubbish, isn't it? Um, it would be an open competition with promotion and relegation. There would be two phases, leagues and the league phase and the playoff phase. Um, and yeah, look, it would mean an extra 14 games for those involved. So seven at home, seven away at minimum. But obviously, if the playoff phase comes about, I can only assume that that would be more games for the participants. I have to say, I don't like it. Um, I don't like the format that's been proposed, but I also don't like the new format of the UEFA Champions League either. So it's hard for me to sit here and say that UEFA are doing only good things and that the European Super League is way off in terms of what the people want when I'm looking at both formats and I'm like, you know what? I don't like any of them. I actually quite like the format of the Champions League currently and I wouldn't have changed it if I were UEFA. I don't think anybody wanted it to change. The only logic or the only reason for them to change it to what they've changed it to from next season is to generate more games, which generates more money. And it's all about the money, 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 money. But I love the fact that it is a group stage competition and then it goes into the knockouts. I think that's fantastic. For me, that's the, the, the best format of football. I love it. I really, really love it. And I don't want that to change. Unfortunately, it's going to another reason why I'm desperate to see Arsenal hopefully win the Champions League this time around. What I will say is, although I'm against the Super League and I'm against this idea of another competition like this, because I think already we play too many games. I think already we're involved in too many competitions. And I think over time, unless clubs have massive squads and you're not going to get that from the smaller clubs because they don't have the finances to keep these big squads and to stockpile players in the way some of the bigger clubs do, I think eventually the standard of the game and the football will suffer. 
I think we're going to see more injuries. And I want to see the best players on the pitch for the best games. I don't want to be in situations where I'm looking at our squad and we've got three or four really, really important players, key players missing because we've burnt them out as a result of an extra competition that I don't really think adds much to the footballing landscape and world. What I will say is I understand why Barcelona and Real Madrid are pushing for this. I don't agree with them. And I think there are other ways they can achieve what it is that ultimately they're looking to achieve, which I believe is to try and draw themselves closer to the level of the Premier League big boys in terms of the finances. Now, some people would say, well, Real Madrid are up, Real Madrid are Real Madrid and Barcelona are Barcelona. And even when Barcelona financially have been on their knees, they've been able to find a way of financing big money deals. And that Barcelona are such a powerful football club that actually they don't need this either. Look, the issue is, and, and there is a wider problem with European football, I really, really do believe that. And the issue is that what you've got at the moment is you've got this major disparity between the Premier League and everybody else. Now, on the one hand, I think it's wrong for there to be that bigger gap in terms of the finances. And I think what that does is it impacts the quality of European competition. All eyes are on the Premier League. The Premier League can take any player they want because they can afford to pay the salaries. You know, they can afford to pay the transfer fees better than anybody else. It's why I think clubs now, you know, hold out sometimes when, uh, you know, domestic rivals come in for some of their key players. Like if you're Napoli, for example, in years gone by, you might have been thinking, well, you know, Victor Ossimeni could be on his way to Juve, he could be on his way to Milan, and we're going to make a pretty penny on that. Now, I don't think that's even a distinct possibility because they will look at the Premier League clubs and go, well, hold on, Juve might be able to stump up 60, 70 million euros over the next three years, but actually a Premier League club could probably come and drop 100 million euros on Victor Osimhen tomorrow. So there is that massive, massive um, disparity between the Premier League and everybody else financially. And that is ultimately, I think anyway, what Florentino Perez and Joan Laporta are trying to rectify in some way. You know, Barcelona and Real Madrid have been two of the big superpowers of world football for as long as I can remember. And now their influence and their power is dwindling as a result of this disparity I keep talking about. So I get why they want the landscape to change. This is not the way to go about it, though. La Liga has to be marketed better. You know, Serie A has to be marketed better. The Bundesliga has some things in place that you would say protect the purity of the league. Fans having, you know, 51% ownership of the clubs is great in theory and it's great in terms of protecting the supporters' rights, but it limits what those clubs can do on a financial level because they don't have one big billionaire bankrolling them the way that the Premier League clubs do or the way that the Saudi clubs can now operate as well. So I think. You know, there are some things that can be done to kind of bridge that gap to a point. But I think we've also got to a point where the likes of Barca and Real Madrid look at it and go, we're so far behind now. I don't know how we can ever close that gap. I don't know how we can ever bridge that gap. Football is bigger than the Premier League, right? I'm a massive fan of the game generally. I love the big European games. I love the big European clubs. I love the fact that we have the Champions League that pits us against these clubs. And I'm one of those people that wants to see his team go to the San Siro and go to Real Madrid and go to the Camp Nou because these places are iconic. And regardless of whether or not 
Newcastle, or not, not, not even to use them as an example, it's not picking on anyone, it's just the first team that comes to mind, or Chelsea, to use them as an example, you know, they are a club that could outspend Barcelona, that could take any player away from Barcelona and be competitive and go on and win things, as we saw throughout the Roman Abramovich era. But will they ever have that that history? That Do you know what I mean? They, they, they will never have that aura as a football club, the way that a Barcelona or Real Madrid do. So those clubs, they do have something that you can't buy. They do have something that you can't, um, you know, quantify into any amount of money or anything like that. But they are obviously concerned by the fact that they're falling behind. And with the way that the UEFA competitions work, they are not, in their opinion, going to be able to close that gap. It's a combination of things. It's the way the UEFA competitions work, the way the prize money is dished out. They don't think that they're competing on fair ground, given the, the might of the Premier League financially, which I get again. But obviously, domestically is, is where the problem is. The TV rights deals around the Premier League, they dwarf any deal that La Liga could get, that Serie A could get. And obviously that's a problem. And, and so that's where this all stems from. It's clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona who have gone, hold on a minute. The people that are turning up to watch this competition, they're turning up to watch Real Madrid and they're turning up to watch Barcelona. They're not turning up to watch UEFA. UEFA are the facilitators. They're the governing body and they facilitate and organise this competition. But I think the, the the feeling is from those two big Spanish giants. And again, I'm not defending them. I'm just trying to explain what I think is going through their minds and their heads. The thinking is, well, okay, they're the facilitator. Okay, they're the governing body. But what they earn from this is disproportionate to the contribution that they make. The value is in the clubs, not in the governing body. If it was the you know, if if you took away the fact that it was the UEFA Champions League and some independent governing body was running it, but Real Madrid were playing Manchester City, you'd still tune into Real Madrid against Manchester City, regardless of who the facilitator of that fixture is. That's the point that they're trying to make. So I don't agree with the, the breakaway. I don't agree with it all. I think, if anything, this should be something for UEFA to, you know, have to really think about. And I think, actually, if these clubs are clever, rather than constantly trying to push through something that isn't going to go through, in my opinion, and that there is so much resistance to, they should be using the position they're in now where there is a bit of pressure on UEFA to renegotiate, perhaps, how the money is divvied up, how, um, you know, the payments work. And, you know, yeah, I, I just think that's that's what these clubs should be doing. Instead, they're still pushing for this European Super League is it coming tomorrow? I don't think it is. Um, is it something we've got to worry about down the line? Maybe. Am I more concerned about it today than I was two, three weeks ago? Yeah, a bit, but not by a lot. That, that That's my feeling on this. I think there is still so much resistance to this. And I think it's really telling, actually, that the European Court of Justice said that just because um, they felt that UEFA and FIFA were, and I quote, abusing a dominant position, there's no guarantee that they would approve this breakaway proposal that is on the table. So yeah, um, that's kind of what's going on with it. Am I more concerned about it than I was two weeks ago? A little bit, but not by a lot. That's that's my opinion on this. Um, it's just a reminder, isn't it, just before Christmas, that 
we haven't completely defeated this beast that is the European breakaway Super League. Um, but the more I think about it, and, you know, yes, I've got my objections to the format. I also have objections to UEFA's new format as well. So I'm kind of like, yeah, um, you know, are the two ideas as different as maybe some would have you believe? They're probably not. But the structure around who gets what size piece of the pie is different. And that's where I think the big problem is um, with a lot of these uh, clubs that are obviously pushing for this. Let's take a few of your thoughts and questions from the live chat box and then we'll move on uh, to some Arsenal chat. Apologies, I didn't intend to go on as long as I did about that, but I feel like it's quite an important uh, topic for the the sort of future of football and, and where it's going. Um, Ian Wallace says, uh, waiting for you to bring some light on this. Premier League fans have to unite on this. Yeah, I think Premier League fans are united on this. I think we saw that, didn't we? when the protests began happening the last time this came about, the last time the discussion was really um, sort of rife. And, and obviously at that point, the clubs had signed up to it. And again, you know, I'll, I'll sort of circle back to a point that I think I made a little bit earlier on, which is the problem and the reason the Super League didn't go ahead before was not really because of legislation or law. It was because of the resistance, at least in this country, from the fans. So I don't think the fans' stance has changed. Therefore, I don't think anything's changing. The Premier League do not need... The Premier League clubs do not need this. They could do with the extra money and they'd love the extra money. What businessman wouldn't want his business to generate bigger revenues? Of course, they would They would welcome it from a financial perspective. But they're not in the same position as Real Madrid. They're not in the same position as Barcelona um, because they are comfortable with what they earn from the Premier League and its worldwide and global appeal. The reason that the clubs that have hung in there and continue to push this have is because they're the ones that are behind. So I don't expect Arsenal to jump on this this time around. I don't expect, we know Man United aren't going to, they've already come out and said as much, which is great. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there are clubs that, um, you know, don't really need to risk upsetting everybody and, and having egg on their faces when, in my opinion, this this falls flat on its face again. Uh, big hello to Juno, who's joining us from somewhere he shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> welcome. Uh, good to see you, mate. Goon Gang says, smash the likes, people. Yeah, please do. It really, really does help. Um, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. It's massively important. Um, and it, it really helps with the algorithm and all of that jazz. Um, but yeah, get involved. Like, subscribe. You know the the drill by now. Um Tom says uh, Barca and Real Madrid are just trying to push away their inevitable bankruptcy. They're, in, they're not in a great place, neither of those two clubs. Kasim Sheikh says, I think they have toned down the Super League, but they will turn it into what their original plan was. It will be done gradually and over time, and the resistance won't be as much as the resistance last time. Um, Yard Guna says Barca and Real mess up the rest of the La Liga, and then they're hating on the English Premier League clubs. Don't grant them any favours. Uh, big hello to Ken, who says, hello from Singapore. First time watching live on YouTube, your daily. I'm a daily Spotify listener. Keep it up. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, we've got Boston, uh, who says, morning from across the pond. Harry, morning to you too, mate. Steve says, in your opinion, could today's news have any impact on City or Chelsea's punishments if found guilty? Premier League maybe fear that both could jump ship. I don't think the Premier League have anything to fear. Um, I really, really don't. I really don't. I think the Premier League will be fine. Um, I think that domestic football is at the heart of everything. And I think there is, yeah, I think there is um, 
there is maybe a slight worry that what's going on with all this could have an impact on that, but it's not enough of a worry for me to really make a big deal about it at this moment in time. I think Man City are probably one of the most likely clubs to jump on a, a European Super League thing. And that's just my opinion, because I think obviously, yes, they um, are part of the Premier League and they earn a fortune. But in terms of their organic income as a football club, it isn't on the level of Man United. It isn't on the level of Arsenal or Liverpool because they don't have the fan base. And they will report that that their income is on that level. But I would question, can't say it's definitely wrong, but I would question um, whether or not, um, you know, that is as it seems. And that's why they're in trouble in the first place, right? Anyway, um, Evan says... What's up, Harry? Does the Liverpool preview come tomorrow or Saturday morning? The Liverpool preview, which I've started to put together today, by the way. I've been putting together some notes on the Liverpool game um, that I want to discuss. That will be with you guys tomorrow morning. We'll be live at 10 a.m. for that one. And we're going to do it in real detail. Um, Well, I'm planning 10 a.m. It might end up being 11 a.m. Because um, I think my missus has got an appointment, which may mean I've got the kids first thing in the morning. And if she says she'll be back at 10, the chances are that it's not going to happen. So I might be a little bit later, but either 10 or 11 a.m. late kind of morning time, we'll be bringing you that preview in full. Um, And uh, yeah, it should be a good one. So um, looking forward to that. Uh, Tim Drake says all he wants for Christmas is a win at Anfield. (laughs) Yep, indeed. Okay, let's um, turn our attention to the mighty Arsenal. Uh, We'll do that right after this very, very short pause. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. Okay, let's talk Arsenal because there's quite a bit to get into. I've not been on for a couple of days and we've got a load of things uh, to break down and to discuss. Um, First of all, Miguel Delaney has been tweeting about Ivan Tony. Well, I say tweeting. He was tweeting what he put um, in... uh, in an article, basically. Uh, so it was an article that he wrote, and then obviously he condensed it to, to put out a tweet that, as you can understand, has done quite a bit in terms of engagement. Um, he says, Arsenal are leading the chase for Brentford's Ivan Tony in what is shaping up to be one of the January transfer windows major sagas. Arsenal are Tony's preferred option. Ivan Tony, you might want to come to Arsenal, but I don't see how Arsenal can make this deal work in January. I don't see Brentford, given their current situation, which is a situation in which they're not... Look, I would argue that they're not safe this season. Now, I think they've done, you know, brilliantly over the last couple of years. They're a club I've got loads of respect and admiration for. Okay, you would say that they're 10 points clear of the drop zone at this moment in time. And maybe with Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United um, being as, I don't want to say bad, but as weak as they are, um, you know, maybe, just maybe, there's an argument that says they will be safe regardless of whether they're able to pick their results up dramatically. But I just think, like, with Mbumo out injured the way he is, for meant to be out for three months, plus the fact they've already given us David Raya on loan without taking the money for that yet, are they really going to want to sanction a deal for their biggest asset? that is a loan deal. And I don't know that we've got £60 million to throw down at the moment. Maybe it would be a structured deal. Maybe they'd accept a certain amount, but they'd need to replace in January if we were to get Ivan Tony, even more so because of 
Brian and Bumo's injury. So I'm not massively confident that this is a deal that will get done in January. My own personal feeling and opinion on it is that this is not the answer for Arsenal. Um, he's not the one I would go for. I think that I would rather wait until the summer to go and get a proper striker. I'm not saying Ivan Tony's not a proper striker before someone tries to take my words and make them into something they're not. But I just think for that kind of value, I think there are better options out there. I think the deal's unlikely in January unless Brentford are willing to compromise uh, massively. And that might be driven maybe by the player's desire to join Arsenal Football Club. You know, you, you never know. You might find Ivan Tony's really pushing hard. And in that case, Brentford might think, well, the best thing to do then is to strike some kind of deal that guarantees us this money. And Brentford are a club that do need to sell football players. Like they do need to be able to cash in on their assets from time to time. The key has been, and the brilliant thing about them has been that their recruitment's been so good that they've been able often to be able to then plug those holes and make sure that it doesn't have a lasting effect. But yeah, I, I don't see that going through as this straightforward 60, 70 million pound transfer in January is what I'm trying to say. And on top of that, in my own personal opinion, A, he's not worth that. And B, he's not the solution to Arsenal's problem. People would disagree. Let me know in the comments. That's fine. It's my view. It's my opinion. I'm just not sure about Iron Tony. Um, we've also heard from Fabrizio Romano that Arsenal view Douglas Luiz as the perfect um, player to add to the picture come January. But again, is this a deal that's realistic in January? Again, it's one that we're going to have to rely on the player really pushing hard for because, you know, at this moment in time, Aston Villa will fancy themselves as a rival. Now, I just, I think the ship has sailed with this one. We, we tried to sign Douglas Luiz in the past. I think we offered a really reasonable amount of money at that point. It didn't happen for whatever reason. His stock's risen higher, which means his importance to Aston Villa has increased. Therefore, the price has increased. And if I'm saying that I don't think we've got £60 million because of the FFP situation to go and drop on Ivan Tony, I don't think it would be right of me to say that, yeah, we're going to move for Douglas Luiz. I think in the summer, maybe, you know, maybe if Villa were to fall off a little bit or, you know, well, I say fall off. I mean, fall off by Premier League title challenger standards, you know, then maybe he'd look at Arsenal coming into the season and go, you know what, that is a step up. But they're not going to let him go and they're not going to let him move on. Um, a, in January when they're in the position that they're in and B, to a club that they want to be competing with. Um unless we break the bank. And again, if I don't think we can break the bank for Tony, then I don't think we can break the bank for Douglas Luiz. Another striker that's been talked about is Dominic Solanke. And this might be the most underwhelming transfer rumour I've heard about Arsenal um, in, in quite a while. He's having a great season, Dominic Solanke, okay, in isolation. He's having a good campaign. He's improved. He's getting better. I think Andoni Iraola has has sort of molded him a little bit and I think added some sophistication to his game. He's got eight league goals in 16 Premier League appearances this season. That is really, really good. Really, really good. But again, you're talking about someone that is a vital part, a key cog in a team that will want to maximise his value when the time comes, whenever that might be, that they opt to move him on and sell him. So again, you're probably talking north of 50 million pounds. 
And again, I would make the same argument that I make about Ivan Tony. I don't think he moves the needle enough for us to justify spending that kind of money. I would argue, as Minion says in the chat, that there isn't that much difference between Dominic Solanke and Eddie Nketiah. I would argue that there's no difference at all. Dominic Solanke plays week in, week out at Bournemouth. Would Eddie Nketiah's goal total be too far off that if he was playing? You know, you, you would never know. But I think overall, uh, you know, Eddie Nketiah's goal scoring rate, OK, plays in a better team, would probably marry up quite well, actually, to um, to Dominic Solanke's. And, and with Dominic Solanke, I think he's a good player. I think he's improved a lot over the last year. But I think he is going through a bit of a purple patch at the moment, which can cause people to get carried away and which can cause people to go over the top in their assessments of the players. I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I think he, for years I've seen him as one of those strikers. It's not quite good enough for the Premier League, but too good for the championship. Now I see him as one of those strikers that's good enough for a bottom of the um, a bottom half of the table side. But do I think that he can make that step up to a club like Arsenal and succeed? No, I don't. I really, really don't. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not having that one either. <laughs> um, also uh, being reported by Miguel Delaney, is that Arsenal are looking for four players still. Arsenal are looking to add four more to the group. That's what Mikel Arteta wants uh, in order for them to be able to achieve their goals. It's said that he's looking for two fullbacks, one midfielder and one forward. Interesting on the fullback part, because what is a fullback to Mikel Arteta these days? Because we've seen him make this move towards centre-backs playing at fullback. We've seen... Tomiyasu arrive at the club as a centre-back turned into a fullback. We've seen Ben White arrive at the club as a centre-back, plays first season there, but then eventually with the emergence of William Saliba turn into a right-back. We've seen, you know, Tomiyasu even play at left-back. We've seen Jakob Kivior, who's a centre-back by trade, play at left-back. On the other side, when arguably we play our best 11 or Mikel Arteta's first choice 11, we play a midfielder at left-back whose job is to play in midfield for... 90% of the game, if things go the way that we want them to, with him tucking back into that left-back position when we've got our backs against the wall and we need to defend. So what is a fullback to Mikel Arteta? This is really, really interesting for me because you would assume, based on what he's done so far, that he would look at players that do have that versatility. Jurian Timber, another one that was brought in and started the season playing at fullback, but obviously, unfortunately, couldn't continue through injury. Hopefully, he's going to be back in January maybe February, but he was someone that, again, prior to his arrival at Arsenal, predominantly played as a centre-back. So the question I would push back here um, with regards to this report is, what is a fullback to Mikel Arteta? Because right now I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Then you look at the midfield, um, and I think we do need to play there. I think that for me is the number one priority. Go If you'd asked me a couple of months ago, I would have said the priorities were Midfielder, striker, defender. Now it's midfielder, defender and striker for me. Because with the injury to Tommy Asu, with the fact that Timber's not back yet, um, not that I expected him to be back this quickly, but, you know, the point stands of the fact that we're a little bit short. Yeah, we've got versatile defenders, but we're just a little bit short on bodies at the moment. So for me, that's the way it looks at the moment. Priority 
is is a midfield player. Second up is a defender because, again, with Thomas Partey's injury problems and the fact that he's so unreliable, we're only one Declan Rice injury away from being up shit street. That's the reality of it right now. Maybe if Thomas Partey came back and proved that he could stay fit over a long period of time, my opinion on that would change. But do I have any faith that he's going to be able to do that? No. No, I don't. Um, you know, you look at Tommy Asu, you look at Timber and you think with those two available, we're quite well stocked defensively. In fact, I remember saying when we made the Timber signing that this signing completed our defensive unit. And I stick by that. But with them both unavailable, we are short. Like we are short. And when someone's unavailable for two or three weeks, you can kind of live with that and you can navigate through it. With Timber, we've been out without him all season, which is incredibly unlucky on ours and his part. But with Tommy Asu, that's where I've got the worry and the concern because, again, he's another player who frequently breaks down with injuries and injuries that end up keeping him out for sometimes six, seven, eight weeks. So, you know, that's that's where the concern is for me. Looking at that shopping list that Mikel Arteta has of four players, two fullbacks, one midfielder and one forward, I would go as far as saying it is going to be impossible for us to achieve all of those deals in January. And therefore, I think what he needs to do is assess what he has available to him currently and prioritise and, and identify what are the one or two major needs. And even then, there's an argument that says we might not be able to sign, you know, the long term sort of hopes that we have for those positions. You know, for example, talk about midfielder. I know that Arsenal, for a fact, like Martin Zubimendi, will we be able to do that in January? Or is that one that would have to wait? In which case, would we have to make another Jorginho-style signing? Someone just to come in in the interim and help us out. Jorginho's going to leave at the end of the season. I'm almost certain of that. El Nenny too. Um, you know, there's an argument that says that Arsenal will probably want to cut their losses on Thomas Partey as well, given the aforementioned injury problems. So I think for me, you know, four players in January feels totally unrealistic. So I wouldn't get carried away by that report and sort of say to you, well, if that's what Arteta wants, that's what we should be hoping for. If we don't achieve that, then it's an unsuccessful window because I don't think the reality is is what we're talking about here. I think we're talking about what Mikel Arteta would like in an ideal world. We don't live in an ideal world. Everybody likes that. Uh, everybody knows that, I beg your pardon. So yeah, um, my take on that. As I say, my priorities would be a midfielder first, a defender second, and a striker slash attacker third. What we're going to be doing over the Christmas period is we're going to be dropping some special episodes where we're going to focus going into the January window on those positions that have been mentioned, fullback, midfielder, and forward. And I'm going to give you three options that I think would be suitable in each of those positions. Some of them are going to be pre-recorded because I'm going to want to try and take a bit of time to chill out over Christmas outside of the games. Um, I'm working uh, on the game Saturday. Back on commentary for Arsenal, which I'm really, really excited about for the trip to Anfield uh, alongside the brilliant David Hillier. So I'll be working on Saturday, Christmas Eve in the morning. We'll bring you the reaction podcast to that game, of course. I'm going to take Christmas Day and probably Boxing Day this year off as well. Um, I'm going to be off on the 29th too because I have a wedding to attend. So I'm going to pre-record some of those episodes and I'll drop them uh, during that period so that you're not without content over the festive period. Um, get me some questions in the chat box. Throw a few in and we'll pick up a couple of those before uh, I disappear off and um, and chill out and um, relax for the afternoon. Um, and uh, yeah, 
And uh, then uh, we'll be back, of course, tomorrow with that Liverpool preview. Um, let's see what you guys are saying, because there's uh, there's quite a few comments coming through. Um, Goon Gang says, am I the only one that thinks Bakayoko from PSV would be a fantastic backup to Bukayo Saka? I think that's a decent shout. I think that's a decent shout. Um, we know that Bakayoko was close to um, to joining Brentford, I think. I think Brentford, you know, had something in place in terms of the deal. And it was around about 35, 36 million pounds, which for Brentford was massive. For Arsenal, you'd argue, isn't that big a deal. But in the end, the player decided to stay in, in Eindhoven, play Champions League football. He's probably going to win another Eredivisie title, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think Arsenal would be too big a opportunity for him to turn down. I think that's certainly one that's achievable and attainable. I just wonder if, given that he's continued to perform and he's continued to, to sort of make a name for himself over the first half of this season, and he's likely to do so beyond, I just wonder if the price has gone up quite a bit. And I also think that when Brentford come knocking, you're probably willing to accept one price. When Arsenal come along, you're probably thinking, ah, hold on a minute, lads. We know you've got the money. So let's try and drive this uh, price up a little bit higher. But not a, a terrible option, no. Um, he's a good option, really. He's a good shout. Um, Tom says, uh, if we could sign one realistic target in January, who would be your pick? Mine was has to be Fofana from Monaco. We'll talk about specific players on those bits of content because what I want to do is I want to come uh, to those shows armed with information examples um, and all the rest of it to be able to kind of back up my points I don't just want to throw names out there I do want to sort of kind of explain to you why some of these players have caught my eye and and what interests me in them um, but yeah uh, let's take one more uh, of your questions um da -da 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 -da. Um, Dave Atkinson says we can't loan Tony from Brentford because we've loaned a goalkeeper from them and we can only loan one from a single club and we don't have the money to pay for him in January. That's true. Um, but there were some suggestions the other day that Arsenal, in order to try and facilitate the Tony deal, would sign the deal to make Raya permanent. Um, we've heard that that deal has been agreed, but they would actually sign it and find a way around the regulation that way. Um, so that's interesting. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Goon Gang has also mentioned uh, Paulinha. I like Paulinha. I do. Um, I think there are some shortcomings in his game that I think would show more if he played for Arsenal rather than Fulham. But generally, I think he's a good option. Um, Tim Drake Brockman says, are, are we close to breaching FFP? I don't know that we're at the point where there's a, a major concern about it, but I do know that we're at a point as a football club where we have to think about the structure of some of the deals that we do in order to just make sure that we stay on the right side of the line. And we know that Everton have been really harshly punished. Arsenal will not want that at a point where as a football club, they feel they've got a chance of challenging for the, the biggest honours. So, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting uh, on that one. But we're not we're not at a point where it's a major red flag, but we do know that we need to sell now to be able to to do things. And, and we know that that was the case um, around the riot deal and why it was structured the way it was. And look, I've been saying it for years. For anyone that's followed or listened to this podcast for the last two years, you'd have heard me say on multiple occasions that at some point the spending, because it's not anywhere near in line with what we're bringing in, is going to have to is going to have to stop until we find a way of being able to move players out. 
um, more effectively. So I'm not surprised by the fact that we're in that position, but nor am I alarmed by it either. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to leave it there. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back tomorrow with that Liverpool preview. But we'll focus on that one in depth. We'll look at the tactical side of it, the statistical side of it. I'll share with you guys the lineup I'd like to see picked. And then we'll talk about all the key battles with Jurgen Klopp's men, who says the outfield atmosphere needs to be good at the weekend. I think that's a big compliment to the Arsenal, I have to say. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. All the best. Mm-hmm.